0: Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there is one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it it is free, it also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics. And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers, so your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be talking to Lori Buckle from Cookit Media, and we will talk about turning your blog into a sustainable business. Lori Buckle is the founder of Cookit Media, an influencer marketing agency that specializes in food and lifestyle content creation. Lori has worked in food media for more than 25 years at magazines like Bon Appetit and Better Homes and Gardens, with digital brands like The Kitchen, and with publishers like Clarkson Potter. She knows how to create a successful brand story and how to market it. Lori, I'm really excited to dig into our chat today, but first, give us a fun fact about yourself.
1: Hi, Megan. It's so nice to talk to you. This is the silliest fun fact probably you've ever heard. (laughs) Um, But because I have worked in food for my entire career, literally starting at the bottom rung of the ladder at Bon Appetit, not even knowing how to cook at that point in time, it's been this huge education in food and cooking and all of that amazing stuff. But I have this one handicap that has stayed with me the whole time. And it's the fact that I absolutely hate bananas and if you knew me, I am one of those people who will eat anything, um, everything from, you know, the mas- most amazing hamburger on the street to, you know, a three-star restaurant kind of thing. So bananas are just kind of this obstacle. I mean, this, the whole trend that we're, you know, we're going through right now about banana bread, I'm totally missing out on it. So <laughs> I kind of feel really badly about it, but it is just this weird thing that I carry around with me all the time.
0: That's kind of funny. So do you find that people are constantly like, okay, I have a way that you're going to enjoy bananas. Do they ever try to do that? Like convince you to like them?
1: All the time. Like I've always worked with test kitchens at the magazines that i worked with and everything. And in the test kitchens, there have been so many tricks. There have been so many ways to get me to eat bananas that, you know, I can go to like a Jamba Juice and have a, a smoothie and immediately know within seconds, oops, somebody put a banana in this one. So I'm really good at detecting it. (laughs)
0: And you can't even do like a smoothie with a little bit of banana. Even that's even really no.
1: And it's not an allergy or anything. It's just like I just hate banana.
0: Just (laughs) a huge distaste, huh? And it's it's funny because it's not like they're a super. Well, I guess they are kind of a strong flavor, but I'm thinking more of like beets for me. That's my thing, but I think that's kind of common because beets are just very very strong
1: especially if you grew up on canned beets canned beets are oh, not sure. very good and I no, grew up in the Midwest on no. but no now I like a fresh beet definitely
0: oh, I can't do it I've tried <laughs> every single way just like you and I I detect them immediately and I can't do it <laughs> oh okay well that was probably one of the funnest fun facts so thank one. you uh-huh. no I love it <laughs> Okay, so we are here to get your insights about growing a sustainable blogging business. But first, I would love it if you gave us a little bit of information about Cookit Media and maybe how and why you started it and just give us a little information about it.
1: Sure. Happy to. So Cookit had been sort of an idea in the back of my mind for a long time before it actually became the business it is today. And it was, to be honest with you, it was a progression of sort of what that original idea was and how it was going to become, you know, a business effectively. So not unlike the conversation we're having today about creating a business out of a blog, in many ways, a blog is an idea that you had, I I think. And then there is this chance to figure out how to get it growing, what to do. So we'll talk more about that, but coming back to Cook It, coming from food magazines and sort of, you know, initially as bloggers were kind of coming onto my radar, which was probably around 2010, initially I was really hesitant because, you know, like I was mentioning before, I grew up in test kitchens and test kitchens are these places where recipes are developed and tested multiple times, seven, eight times until they're perfect. And the people who work in the test kitchen are, you know, trained, certified nutritionists, dietitians, that kind of thing. And I just kept thinking, wow, who are these bloggers that think they know how to do all of that stuff that was basically happening in the test kitchen? And I really quickly began to see at that point that I should probably pay attention because something's going on here in this industry. And the food that I'm cooking from the blogs that I am following is so much more interesting than what's happening over here in traditional print and magazines and that kind of thing um one of my first discoveries was 101 cookbooks and I started cooking from her blog and I just was blown away by the food. So I think at that point I really shifted from skeptical to passionate enthusiasts for bloggers and what they were doing and wanting to figure out all right well I have all of these skills kind of from you know from the publishing world everything from content creation to editing to understanding everything that goes into that you know creating brand story understanding your reader, who she is, what she wants out of you, all those things that actually make for a really great blog. And I kept thinking, well, all right, how am I going to share that with an influencer? What, you know, what benefit am I going to be in that conversation? So I got very lucky at the beginning, at the point that I decided to leave magazines and kind of move over to this digital space. And I got to meet Gabi of What's Gabi Cooking. And she was, I think she was already a couple of years into her blog. And I I remember after we met, I called her and I said, you know, I really need a guinea pig. I really need someone that I can talk to about what it is that I think a blog should be and how to get it there. And she was game she was just like all over it. Yes, of course, let's do that. And I think we spent upwards of a year kind of working together on her strategy, her story, which I I don't know if everyone knows her, but she's amazing. She's basically this, the California girl and her food is just kind of the epitome of what it's like to sort of eat out here by the beach where, you know, you have salad for lunch and slutty brownies for dessert that night. She just has that whole balanced life you know, just perfect, and I learned so much from her in terms of where was I helping. So from there, Cookit really went on to get its start as a consulting agency, me working one on one with the influencers and um, bloggers at the time, and helping them really figure out what is their brand story, who are they? What's unique about them? Who's their audience? Where is that potential to grow into an audience that's really going to value that content? How do you actually create a content strategy around that audience and around that brand story? All those things that since then, Cookit has really gone on to, to kind of that knowledge, to teach influencers over the years about how to do this. And recently, we have turned those teachings into a digital course that kind of walks the individual through how to do this and how it will benefit her. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. But In the meantime, in addition to the consulting, Cookit grew into an agency because the influencers we were working with would come back to us and say, wow, this is working and all of these brands are starting to reach out to me and I'm not really sure what to say to them. I'm not really sure how to price myself. And from my perspective, obviously working in magazines, You know, your ad sales team is always in your back pocket. So ad sales, the advertising industry has always been a big part of what I do, too. So it really felt like, okay, let's just take this leap and let's really figure out what kind of agency we can create that really is in it to support the influencer and simultaneously the brand help create those partnerships that really, you know, move mountains when they're done well. So that was a big part of how Cookit was growing. And then simultaneously, we were also working with influencers as content creators, which again, kind of comes back to my experience in content and realizing that in the influencer space, it's so different. And really it's that potential that bloggers have to kind of be the do-it-alls of content, everything from the recipe development through the recipe styling, the prop styling, the photography, the videography, you guys are amazing. And I'm always impressed. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity to work with so many bloggers really in content creation, too. So, so that's kind of the big story of Cookit that went on for a while there.
0: <laughs> no, that's such great information. I did not know that history. And I did know that you worked, you know, with magazines, but I love how that kind of transpired for you where you were like, okay, who are these food blogger people? Who do they think they are? (laughs) Because I think a lot of people think that. They're like, well, they can't take the photos and make the recipes and churn out good content. But actually, the really successful ones can. So I love that you really dug into it and you realized, okay, there's something to this. And then you really researched it and you dived in to the world and became immersed in it and used your own talents and your own skills to kind of like bring out the best in food bloggers and influencers. So what a great story.
1: I hope so. That is the Uh, goal, definitely. I have so much admiration for all of you and for this industry and where it's going. I just, I'll always love magazines, but boy, am I glad to be here right now.
0: Oh, that's so great. And I feel like food bloggers are very misunderstood. And a lot of people don't really know yet what we do or who we are. And I mean, I don't know that there's been... Uh, maybe like two people, honestly, that have said like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "I'm a food blogger." And most people look at me like, "What in the world is a food blogger?" And <laughs> so then you have to go into this big thing like, "Well, I write recipes and I take pictures." And it's just like this uncomfortable. So now I don't even say that. <laughs> so <laughs> I never know what to say. I'm like, sometimes I say I'm an entrepreneur. Sometimes I say I'm an influencer. like, But I don't know. I feel like people just really don't understand that either. So I appreciate and we all appreciate those people who get it, who aren't food bloggers, because it's so rare. It's so unique. You know, we see the same thing on the brand side. They don't
1: really understand influencer marketing and what that is and the potential for this industry in terms of where it can go and the connections that bloggers have with their readers and that kind of thing. So we spend a lot of time in that Basically, we call it you know that education space, helping them really kind of get what this is and what they can be doing. So it, I think it's the same conversation. It's just everywhere. It's such a new industry. In real time, it's been around for, it seems to us, what, more than a decade. But in sort of the world of advertising and promotion and that kind of thing, and content creation for that matter, it's still relatively new.
0: That's so true. I love that you pointed out that On their side too, it's very unique as well. People don't quite understand that fully either. Okay, so thank you for kind of putting a scope on your company. And I love that you focus on brand story to start and that everything goes from there. Because really, I'm learning this about my own business after being a blogger for many, many years, literally just learning that your brand story is the basis for everything And if you don't have a good brand story, if you don't know what your brand story is, you're just floundering. And I did that for so many years. So it's like the foundation. So figuring out what that is, is so crucial. So do you recommend that people take your course and then lean on you as an agency? Or how do you move through Cookit Media if people want help figuring out what their brand story is? Oh, it's such a great question. It's so
1: interesting to me when I kind of look back at where the industry started. I think almost every day somebody says to me, this was just a hobby. I was just looking for a place to keep my recipes because I, you know, I love cooking kind of thing. And and look what it is now and I'm not really sure what to do with it. And it's been, you know, we've worked with hundreds of bloggers over the years and to hear that again and again and then to hear people say I used to do this thing where I didn't really know what I was doing. It didn't really have my story. It didn't really have a sense of who I was talking to or what my value was to them. So I would just simply kind of look at what everybody else was doing out there and I would do the same thing. So that if it was, you know, if it was a moment in time when unicorn cakes were really popular, everybody would, you know, like a shiny object. Everyone would gather around it and think, "Okay, well then I should do a unicorn cake too." And how confusing that must have been for that content creator at that point in time. Because really, if you think about it, the individual who wants to make a cake, she doesn't need 300 unicorn cakes. (laughs) She needs a cake that's really specific to what she wants to make and what she likes and what the occasion is. And I, I think, like you said, it's just been this slow, steady progress of realizing that Actually, we need to be very strategic about blogs. We need to really understand who we are in the equation, and we desperately need to understand who we're talking to. So, when we are in the course, when we are really teaching this, we're really starting you, you know, sort of this is actually going back to magazine work is really understanding your competitive set or the marketplace. We kind of look at them, the marketplace is the really vast. Sort of view of everyone in the food space who, you know, shares sort of a content like strategy, a story, something similar to yours. So if you're Bon Appetit Magazine, in other words, you're going to fully understand and watch and explore all those other brands out there that are creating food similar to um, to the food that's in Bon Appetit. So you're going to look at all the other food magazines and see which one's closest to you. You're going to look at all the cookbook authors. You're going to look at all the, if you're smart, you're going to look at all the influencers out there and figure out, okay, so what are they doing? And it's kind of like you begin this this process of really understanding what's the conversation out there and where do I fit in? Because once you understand your entire marketplace and you can kind of zero in on, well, who are my direct competitors in this, you know, in that giant marketplace? How do I narrow it down to this particular author or this particular cooking show person or this particular magazine? How do I begin to see that they are really working for the same audience that I am as I begin to understand that piece of it, or the audience I want to work for. And that gives you that kind of sense of, all right, well, here they are and here I am. And then you begin the process of what we call gap analysis, which is kind of one of those funny like marketing terms that actually is really <laughs> useful here because you look for the gap in that marketplace. So you say to yourself, you know, sort of, what is it about me that makes me really unique among all of these sorts of brands and people and products that I've identified? What is that thing? It can be something small. It can be, I think I talked to somebody once who was like, you know, I spent my junior year in Paris and I didn't do great in school, but I ate until I could just eat no more kind of thing. Like I became this French cook in the process. So their food has this story behind it. That's It begins with obsession in many ways and how that experience really informed the way they cook now and the way they live for that matter that, you know, a lunch of a baguette and a hunk of brie is a really delicious thing and how that, you know, that kind of thinking informs who they are. And then, so you look back out into that competitive set and you're like, all right, is there anybody out there who has this particular perspective on what they're doing? And in the course, we we have a bunch of workbooks where we kind of take you through that process, like, so that you're really tracking who's who, where you fit in and what you begin to see as your opportunity. And at that point, I feel like the light bulb just goes on. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Okay, I see it. I understand where I am. I understand who they are. I understand that they're the world I live in. And I watch them all the time. But I don't copy them. Coming back to the unicorn cake idea, I find my own path through this experience that for the reader is going to feel really unique and special.
0: You can tell, Megan. I could talk about this for a while. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I'm just like absorbing all of this. Okay. I love all of that. So you're really helping people to understand who their very specific audience is, who is there listening to you, and fill in the gaps. Um, first of all, do some competitive research, figure out what people are liking about your competitors, and there is a gap there. And it might be something there really... is. Yeah. Yes. It might be something really tiny. And it might be so tiny that you overlook it. So just figure out what that gap is and fill that gap. I mean, it sounds so easy, right? But once... I mean, I get it because I too sought out my gap. And I, for years, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I did the whole unicorn cake (laughs) thing too. Like everyone else is doing it. I'm going to make the 3,000th version of it. And I'm sure everyone's going to appreciate this. But But no, no, they don't. Because why would they need that, like you said? But just finding what that gap is. So do you have thoughts about how to do that if someone is struggling with that? Like, let's say they have figured out their niche. They have a, I don't know, vegan audience who eats mostly vegan food, but they don't really know how to hone in on what that specific thing is that they offer? How do they go about finding that?
1: That's such a great question. Um, one of the things that I really love is by the time you get to the end of the gap analysis, part of the process, you have this light bulb go off and you kind of begin to realize, oh, okay, I can understand this in a larger way. So I can understand sort of what is it that I do? We call this actually positioning. Positioning understanding, you know, sort of what do you do? Who do you do it for? Why is it important? And I feel like when you get those pieces down, it's it's a little more complex than that, but it is kind of really understanding that and you take that chunk of knowledge and you kind of put it over here on the left side of your desk. And then you go back to the question that you were asking so well about audience and really kind of understanding understanding audience from a couple of different perspectives. Yes, you definitely have your current audience, especially if you've been in this business for a while, you probably have a relatively good sized audience and you probably have a pretty good connection with them. You probably have email subscribers. You have an audience that is basically you are providing value to. And that's an amazing thing. We we basically call that your existing audience and you work really hard to understand them initially. That's obviously Google analytics is a great tool that you should be using all the time. I also love a survey, a survey where you really are asking questions about how you are helping them because bottom line, the way I see it is that your boss is your audience without them. You don't really have a business model. Do you know what I mean? There's really no focus on what you're doing. And even though they don't specifically tell you, well, here's your to-do list for today. They tell you when they're happy with you, when you are helping them do something that they need to do, whether that's as simple as getting dinner on the table or it's as aspirational as having people over for dinner when we can do that again, which is hopefully soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you know, remember the days of entertaining? Oh, Um, I know. Oh my gosh, it's Mm. coming back. It's definitely coming back. But it's that kind of thing where, You can help them with the small things and there's really great value in that. And you can help them with the larger aspirations for, you know, the kind of cooks that they want to be. So maybe they, maybe they want to learn more. So maybe you get more content focused around teaching them things. And then you're also entertaining at the same time. I talk about this as sort of a triangle of obligations that you have to your audience. So on the, on the, on the sort of helpful side, we often call that service content. That's an old magazine term where you know you provide instructions on how to do something and they do it on the other side of the triangle is that aspirational like help them achieve their goals side of the triangle and at the bottom is that and be entertaining while you're at it be interesting
0: and when you so accomplish a, a, lot of of this, <laughs> a lot of responsibility there
1: i know you know that's that's such a good point is that content isn't just an easy thing that you, you know, kind of wake up and do in the morning, that it has a lot of obligations to it. And this initial obligation to really kind of serve your audience, I think, is probably the most important piece of it. But it does, you're right, it requires you to know so much about them. So as you kind of begin to build out, you know, sort of here's the audience I'm working with now. And now that I know this about myself and the audience I'm serving, you know what, I want to do it for this particular audience, this target audience, which is where I see my growth. So if, for example, right now your audience is on the older side and they're really appreciating a lot of the content you create, um, maybe they're empty nesters and you're helping them cook for two, whatever it might be, that's great. You want to hang on to that audience. But maybe you see a growth opportunity for yourself where you want to talk to the young mom with a couple of kids who's really struggling, especially now to do everything that she needs to do in order to run the house and get food on the table and kind of be organized in the process, all those things that are so important to her, you can shift a lot of your content strategy towards her and begin to get a sense of how that's working. Obviously, bringing your existing audience with you because all that's going to be valuable to them too. but, But once you kind of begin to know them, it just makes all the difference in the world.
0: Oh, that's all such great stuff. So much I wanted to comment on. Um, I love your triangle of entertaining, serving, and being aspirational. I think we all do that just instinctively, but it requires a lot of brain power. I think, it, like you mentioned, it's like not an easy thing to do. I mean, we all already have so many tasks on our plate, so now we have to think about serving them in three different ways. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, but... The good thing about food bloggers is that they're really smart and innovative, and they you guys probably do this without even knowing you're doing it. You already are doing it.
1: I think that's true. I think that's how you... That basically, when you're creating good content and your audience is growing, that's because you're doing it right. But it is also a really good exercise to hold yourself accountable to it all the time, to hold up a piece of content, a content idea. And ask yourself those questions because I think it often does require that you're you're checking in, you're checking in with yourself, and making sure that you're doing you're doing your best effectively.
0: Yeah, and we all see those influencers who maybe are askew a little bit, and they've like one of the things on the triangle spectrum they just don't do, and you can tell if there's somebody who's providing service and aspiration they're not entertaining at all, you're like something is missing and you just can't put your finger on it. So you do need all three of those elements, I think.
1: Yeah, especially as you move out into all the different platforms where all those things are required of you. Otherwise, you just kind of you slip into oblivion out there if you're not entertaining, if you aren't sort of delivering on all fronts.
0: So true. And I wanted to point out another thing that you touched on. I think one of the main components of just figuring out who your audience is. So your existing audience is a really super simple part of the equation. But you touched on a little bit, Lori. It's just like asking your people, what do you want? And you mentioned sending out emails, looking at Google Analytics, sending out surveys. It's so easy, but we overlook it. And That was when I really had a turning point with figuring out who my audience was, who I was speaking to, what kind of recipes and posts and material I was serving was when I started asking people, like, what what do you like that I deliver and what do you want from me? And people answer. They are so willing to answer. So I think that was... Just a, a tiny little secret to point out that it's actually kind of sitting in your hands if you just it's right do that. There. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's right there. Ask them, they will tell you.
1: In many ways, that's what social media is to me. It is a chance to talk to people. You know, this is much harder to do in the magazine world when, you know, you either have to have focus groups or so you have to come up with really creative ways. To get to your readers and kind of understand what are they thinking? and what other ways can you be helping them? I used to do this ridiculous thing where I would stand in airports at a newsstand and I would watch somebody take my magazine off the newsstand and start looking at it. And I would literally, you know, like run up to them and be like, okay, so why did you pick that magazine? <laughs> what was it about that magazine that appealed to you? I would have my own little focus group of one oh in every gosh. airport I went to. But now, right, you're just on yeah. in every social platform. It's that chance to. So what do you think? What would you like? How can I help you? What is really working for you? Did you is there anything else you need? You know, it's that kind of all those questions that you almost have to be asking all the time as the world around us is changing. Obviously, right now it's changing hugely and people need so much so many other things than they did just even a couple of months ago but that's actually always happening as the you know as we grow forward as we grow into seasons and holidays and pretty soon we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving you know people's people's needs shift and to stay on top of that is really one of the most important things you can do
0: all the time yeah and I have noticed that on Instagram, especially since the quarantine and all of this stuff has started, different people. So new audience, I don't know where they came from, but they are reaching out to me and just saying things like, I love your recipes. And I see that as an invitation to understand. So I've been replying to every single one and I say, thank you so much. And then I just follow up with a question like, what are you loving? What kinds of content are you looking for right now can I help you fill any gaps and trying to like really understand what they're needing from me and I think there's always opportunities like that whether it's an email sitting in your inbox or people commenting on your posts on social media responding to your stories I mean there's so much opportunity we don't have to go to airports now and (laughs) watch people consume our information it's like (laughs) literally being delivered to us
1: (laughs) I completely agree
0: I love that you did that by the way (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay, so goodness, so much good stuff. That gives us a really good idea about just how to position ourselves with our current audience. And I love that you also mentioned shifting into new audiences and maybe finding those areas that you're passionate about, but that you haven't delivered on yet, that you think would align with an audience, an existing audience, and just kind of testing it out. Do you think that's kind of a good strategy?
1: I think that's a great strategy. I, I feel like blogs, like really good blogs are, are like sharks. Do you know what I mean? They It's like a good magazine. Same thing. They like really have to keep swimming. They really have to keep moving toward the next thing, the next idea that their reader is interested in. Like I said, that's changing all the time. Trends come into that in addition to everything else. You know, it's it's really interesting to kind of watch the world of wellness right now and what's happening in that conversation and how it feels like that's changing like just every few days right now, what people are interested in and how health is kind of being defined out there in the blogosphere. So I think that's a really important part of kind of your growth strategy, your success strategy going forward.
0: So Lori, how do we stay sustainable through all of this? I mean it's especially now when it's so turbulent and like you said, every things are changing like every day or every couple days and we're not even like we're predicting things and we're not seeing those predictions come true. And then something else will surface. We're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then on top of that, we're having to think about different seasons. We have grilling season in summer and right around the corner is back to school and Thanksgiving and holidays. How do we sustain during this time and not just be thrown around like a ship in the wind?
1: You know, it's such a good question. It kind of comes back to how much admiration I have for bloggers and how hard you work, how much success you have accomplished to date, and then what it looks like going forward. Maybe just for a second, I kind of want to talk about the blogging format itself, because I I truly feel that the blog as a diary, the blog as, you know, kind of that journal that it was when we all started has run its course. That is, it's actually holding you back and it's holding you back because it's only allowing you to do this one thing in this one way. And like, like you're saying, but wait, there's so much we need to be doing. And I think, fighting the format is one of the challenges people have right now. And one of the reasons we created the course was really to help people think, well, the course is called Beyond the Blog. So it's really helping people think, okay, well, if I'm not confined to these two walls, effectively, um, that the blog format allows me, if I'm able to think bigger across categories that are really interesting to me, just as you were saying, like, I want to explore these other ways of creating content for my readers, because I'm I'm pretty convinced that this is gonna be of real value to them. So if you are that influencer who's trying to, you know, kind of cram all of your ideas into one sort of endless blog post, you're shooting yourself in the foot because in many ways that post is gonna come and go over a period of days on multiple channels and everything. And then it's, it's going to roll, you know, it's, it's the whole blog roll thing. It's going to roll right under and people are going to forget about it until you decide to pull it up and obviously push it out again. But in the meantime, you're saying to yourself, well, I kind of wanted to do this part. I wanted to show them the how-to here. I wanted to talk about this ingredient over here. I wanted to offer the recipe here. And right now it's all in the same post and that takes forever. It's exhausting. To, it's basically like you're creating a novel every time yeah. you go to write a post. And instead, when you realize that your reader is a different person at different times, so at five o'clock at night, she's really focused on the recipe. She really needs a quick and easy answer to what's for dinner. On Saturday morning, she might be deciding for herself. Mm, I have a couple of hours this afternoon. I think I want to make something special for you know my friends who are coming over tonight. So maybe there's um, a more expansive recipe option that involves some techniques, some how-to, some teaching for her. And then maybe another time, she's headed for the farmer's market or the grocery store, and she's putting her list together and all of a sudden she sees that you offer, you know, really unique content about seasonal ingredients that moment. And she's maybe never bought an eggplant before or an artichoke or whatever it might be. And maybe your content is directing her to think differently about food that she brings home and cooks and enjoys and discovers at the same time. So when you start to think about something that's more like a site, a website than it is a blog, that enables you to take that, all those content ideas that you have and parcel them out among different, you know, sort of content verticals, whereby the reader can be much more engaged with her own sort of experience in that content. In other words, she can be more deliberate about what she wants and where she's going to get it on your site. So your site is more, it's more focused on what she wants out of it and helping her create that experience for herself.
0: So providing different Options for ways that people consume your information. So, like a shortened version, or maybe like taking a recipe and breaking it down into different posts. Is that kind of what you're saying? Just providing different ways that people can consume?
1: That's a good question. I kind of look at content verticals as doors. And in many ways, you could walk through multiple doors to get to the same recipe. So let's say the recipe is a grilled cheese. I must be hungry. I'm just thinking grilled cheese right now. (laughs) Um, And let's say that it's kind of an interesting grilled cheese and it takes 20 minutes to make and it's perfect family food. And it lives in that place on your site where it's, you know, easy answers to what's for dinner snacks, a much more expansive version than that. But that recipe lives there. And it's all about the simplicity of creating this recipe, getting it on the table, showing her, you know, maybe a unique idea in terms of, okay, we'll add this or add that. And it's, it's exactly what it's supposed to be, the perfect answer to dinner. And then maybe over here in a part of the strategy that's more about how do you do this? You actually get into a little bit of technique with that grill. So the recipe is gonna be the same, but your content strategy around it is really focused on, I'm gonna teach her something. I'm actually gonna teach her that if I cook this grilled cheese low and slow, as opposed to slamming it in a skillet and you know getting it done as fast as you can, I'm gonna take my time with this grilled cheese. And I'm gonna get that crust on it that makes it so amazingly delicious and crunchy that it's going to be this the way I cook grilled cheese from now on. But I didn't know to do that until you, the blogger, taught me to do that. And then maybe over here on the side where it's, you know, we're kind of exploring ingredients. Basically, the door we walk through is, all right, let's talk about all the different cheeses that make up a really great grilled cheese. You could use this or you could use this blend or, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's wrapping different kinds of content around a recipe so that the reader gets what she wants out of that experience.
0: I definitely get that. One of my goals that I came up with recently for my own blog is that I need to create more rich content. And I just have been repeating that phrase over and over because I have that syndrome that I think a lot of us have where I'm like, oh, I want to do that. I have a new project. I want to make that recipe. And then I forget to really sit with my content and make it, Super in depth, quality, you know, like touch on every base, you know, figure out what bread you need for that grilled cheese, low and slow, like you said, what cheese melts the best. I mean, really getting into it makes it really rich. And I just love that term because that speaks to me like making every piece of my content rich, and it is not currently, but that is my goal. So, Whatever that means for you, whether you need to create an ebook or if you need to create a guide that you can email, like just really digging in to what exists. And I do think that that is going to help people be sustainable through the ups and downs if you can just be really thorough.
1: Thorough and forward thinking and audience focused, all those pieces that are going to help you survive. And they are going to separate you from the pack. In many ways, it's chaotic out there right now. It's really hard to kind of find some, you know, a corner of the marketplace that's perfect for you and to convince your reader that that's, you know, that you guys are connected and this, they have found the perfect spot. But it's much easier to do when you let go of, like we were saying, that blogging format and you're able to really show them kind of all your, all your tricks. Do you know what I mean? All the things that you love, all the things that you can teach them and support them. Just, you know, coming back to that triangle, support them both in terms of really hardcore information, great aspirational ideas, goals for them, dishes that they've always wanted to make. And at the same time, amazingly entertaining, like be the brand that really gives them these tips that kind of changes the way they cook grilled cheese forever. And you get a loyal reader out of that.
0: That is so true. Even as a blogger myself, when I do competitor research, just to to kind of see what people are doing or like how they're putting their posts and recipes together. Every time I come across a post that is really rich like that in content, I just feel like, okay, if I were this person's audience, I would be really happy. (laughs) And it makes me sad because I don't always do that with my own. I mean, I do sometimes. I have some stuff that I'm really proud of that I really dig into, but there's so much value in that. And I think people are going to appreciate that right now and also in the future. So I think that is going to Tied us over for a long time if we can really dig into that.
1: I also think that organization is a big part of survival. And I watch bloggers, you know, sort of just working right down to the wire, like not having that sort of long view of what they're doing and who they're doing it for and why they're doing it, but really having that, okay, what am I going to do today? And obviously coming from magazines where you're working with hundreds of pages and hundreds of recipes on any given issue, you have to be very strategic about the process that goes into that content creation so that it all comes together in the end. And I think we need to look at blogs the same way. We really need to get very strategic about what are we doing? How is all of this information getting connected? How is it getting produced and created? And how do I give myself enough time all the way up to the end to make it as best as it can possibly be too.
0: Oh, I love the words strategy and organization. (laughs) (laughs) I, I live by them and they have really helped me to take my blog to a new level, my business really. So what is your advice for influencers about how to just create a really solid content strategy?
1: I love that question. For me, it really does come back to who is your audience now? What is this conversation that's interesting to her? How is that going to change? as we move into June and July and August, what are the things that are going to be, you know, sort of interesting to her, aspiring to her. It's almost like putting your, you know, it's kind of like remembering your audience is always driving this car and you're getting in beside her to learn from her. And simultaneously you're kind of anticipating where she's going to be. So pretty soon this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And when you begin to realize that your content, you could almost look at it, on a monthly basis, I really like the idea of sort of a monthly view of the content that you're going to create across the content verticals on your site. So if you can expand into this larger idea that we were talking about, that also helps you with organization, because then you're able to say to yourself within your content planning, all right, so what am I going to do in this vertical? And what about this one? And what about that one? And your month gives you a kind of theme to think about. So if it is June, if it is, if it is this kind of moment where, you know, we're all going to want to get outside and get to the grill and get cooking, that whole concept can kind of inform all of your content. So it can be really great ways to eat outside meals that, you know, you can carry meals that you can take to other people's houses, things to do with the grill that you hadn't thought of. So your ideas kind of take shape within a format And when you're able to look at it that way, it just becomes so much easier and pretty quickly you can kind of fill in all the blanks on that calendar. We actually have a template, a calendar template in the course that people always tell me they they come back to again and again because it's none of you are short on ideas. Everyone is so smart about kind of what they're doing and you know, that potential to be really valuable. It's like getting all those ideas into places where you feel like, all right, this one slots in here and here, and this is how they connect. And this is the bigger story I want to tell for the entire month. It all begins to make sense in a way that basically creates structure for the way you're thinking about your content.
0: And you could even do it by, this is kind of how I do it. I like doing it by season, but then also breaking it down like what you're saying and doing more of a focused monthly theme. And then you can use tools like Google Trends to kind of guide you. I like going on there and looking at the five-year scope instead of the 12-month scope. So you have just a really good idea about what is trending over like really specific dates. So I just the other day for... I was doing some testing and I looked up baked beans and I looked at the trend over five years. And I mean, literally every July 4th, it was like way high. And then surrounding there, it was pretty high too. So I'm like, you know, okay, if I'm thinking about making party food or side dishes in the next few months, I would obviously plan to put that before July 4th. And there are tools you can use to strategize even further. But I love your idea of doing monthly themes. And I love that you guys have a template that's really popular. Um, obviously, people are wanting that.
1: <laughs> Such a good way to think about it. Just one it quick thing there that's been so interesting over all of my decades in, in this business is that we feel like things change all the time. And they do. There's always you know the hottest trend of the moment, banana bread right now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, people are very traditional, I guess, for lack of a better word, about food experiences over the course of the year. We have a lot of food holidays. We have January, which is always about, all right, let's 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 do a little better this year. Let's kind of resolve to eat more of this or eat more of that or get more organized, whatever it might be. But you know, just the way you're describing, Megan, is that experience you have where, okay, baked beans are going to be good until this moment in time. And then, you know, that conversation's over for a while. Yeah. Um, it's like that. It's like that with January. It's like that with the grill. It's like that with back to school. It's like that with Thanksgiving. Do you know what I mean? The stories are always there. And your opportunity as a content creator is to give a spin, give your spin, to that content in such a way that it really, you know, it supports who you are and what you do and simultaneously addresses what people are always going to be looking for.
0: Isn't that interesting that things are always changing yet? If you look at the facts, there are such predictable patterns with what people are consuming. I kind of love I, that. It's, it's like a found, it gives you a foundation. I, yeah, it's like it gives you yeah, like some stability, even though times are crazy and uncertain right now, looking at those trends, you're like, oh, well, we're still staying on trend. That's pretty cool. Exactly. It's kind of trend and
1: anti-trend all at the same time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's comforting somehow to know that. And I was also going to mention just you mentioned that like anticipating and planning and being organized, you know, how that can only help us. And I just feel like when I am on top of Being organized with my calendar and knowing what's coming, it helps me to remove mental clutter, which opens up so much space for being creative and for so many other things, like being a good mom and just everything. So I speak this all the time. Organization is so important. And I talk to so many food bloggers who are like, ah, I plan, you know, like my week in advance. And I'm like, oh no, uh, you're missing out on that. The torture of that. I know, I know. <laughs> There's such magic in planning ahead and being super organized and just like knowing what's coming. It, it's like it automatically takes it out of your brain. It does. And it gives you that opportunity to have it be the best
1: it can be that content. So that you're not at that last minute, okay, this is as good as I can do right now. It actually, you know, you're taking everything that you know, everything that we've been talking about, and you're ensuring that step by step, it really gets infused into that content.
0: Oh, that's so true. Oh my goodness. This has been so great. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your course and I know that you have a discount for my listeners, but before we do that, I just want to make sure that we've covered everything. Is there anything you want to mention On topic that we haven't covered already. I think we cut through everything that I had
1: on my list. Your questions are so amazing, Megan. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this was so fun. It was such a, uh, it was kind of a thinking conversation, but also very valuable. And I think that food bloggers will definitely come away with some ideas and hopefully encouragement to be more organized and also have some ideas about how to be sustainable during this crazy time. I hope so. Yeah, I do too. So, okay, we mentioned your course. Talk about how people can sign up and what the discount is. That's so generous of you, by the way, and any other details we need.
1: Oh my gosh, of course. It's actually called Beyond the Blog. The website is beyondtheblogcourse.com, which will kind of take you through An outline of what it is, of the different components, um, introduces to some people who have been through this experience with me and what that's like and their success on the other side of that, which I love those stories. They're, they're always so inspiring to me. The focus of the course is exactly what we were talking about is sort of, where is blogging now? How is blogging going to change? And how are you as an influencer, as a content creator, as an entrepreneur, how are you really going to get ahead of that game? Where is the opportunity for you? So the course itself is really intended to step-by-step walk you through everything you need to know to figure that out on the other end. And it takes you all the way through what I like to think of. It's it's kind of the way you were talking about a five-year plan. It's really looking at how big you can go so that at the end of the course, yes, you've got a really good sense of, you know, your brand story, your audience, your content strategy, site structure, all of these things that need to shift in order to take advantage of the opportunity. But it also kind of points you towards wow, what's so, what is my next step? Am I interested in a podcast? Am I interested in a cookbook? Do I want to create an app that's going to help people do something in a way that they've never done before? So it, it's like inspiring you to kind of take your thoughts, take your ideas about your brand and let them be, you know, sort of your future effectively. Sounds large. It is step-by-step. I teach it through video in the course, but then there's also a bunch of workbooks. There's workbooks for every lesson. There's workbooks for multiple you know, sort of segments within the lessons. We try to give you as much information as we can to ensure your success. And there's also a Facebook group, which I'm really loving. It's a private Facebook group just for the people who are taking the course, where we get to talk about the things that they're thinking about, whether that's a hurdle that they're just, I can't figure out how to do this part Or it's that sort of, wow, I learned this, guys. I want you to know that this was really an eye-opening aha moment for me. So sharing and learning over there. I'm hanging out there all the time. And I just love, you can tell, I love talking to people about this kind of thing. So that part's always there. Lifetime access to the course content itself, it's intended so that you can take it at your own pace, obviously, especially moms. It's just so crazy right now in life. So there may not be time to do everything at this moment. So you can start on little bits and just kind of start exploring and pick it up later when everybody goes back to school. Or if you're somebody who has, you know, sort of the opportunity right now or really feeling that urge to, oh, let's do this now. Everything's changing. Um, you can do it all at once too. So it's really intended to be, you know, just the thing for you as the way you want to do it. We're offering 20% off for your, um, your listeners. And oh, if awesome. anybody's... Our pleasure. If anybody's interested, they can DM us at Cookit Media on Instagram. That would be great.
0: Oh, well, that's such a generous offer. Thank you. And I hope people take you up on that because your course sounds amazing. You sold me as you were talking. I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that sounds so helpful. And I just love how you structure all of that. And then you have a group for accountability and Accountability. Yeah. I have to
1: remember it's it's there for accountability too. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: great. Great stuff. So thank you for all of that, Lori. And again, just thank you for being here. And I just really enjoyed talking to you. I think that we had a really great conversation. So thanks for taking the time out of your schedule today to share value. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Megan. It was great.
0: Yes, yeah, so before you go, share either a favorite quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers.
1: Right, right. So my it's so funny. My my entire team, I think they get tired of me. This is my favorite quote, and if I had a tattoo, it would probably be this because I <laughs> have to remind myself of this all the time. It's only do what only you can do. And the first time I heard it, I was in the car and I literally had to pull over the car and write it down and think about it because I was like, oh, that's right. It's like You know, we're all so crazy, we're all so busy, bloggers in particular, trying to do it all. And I fully admire that, but I also realize that wow, a team can be really helpful, an assistant, anybody that can kind of take some of the load off. And when you can focus on really just do the thing, only do what, you know, only you can do, then everything else kind of opens up around that and gives you real focus around what is your role in this process? Where are you most important?
0: Oh wow, and that's really what it all boils down to, right? It sure does. Doing what you do best. We can't do it all,
1: but we can do what we can do best.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. That's the perfect way to end. So I will put together a show notes page for you, Lori. And if anyone wants to go visit that, you're welcome to do that at eatblogtalk.com forward slash cookitmedia. And we've talked a little bit about where to find you, but Lori, where's the best place people can find you online?
1: Um, our website is cookitmedia.com and Instagram is cookitmedia. My personal Instagram, was kind of silly, it's just a bunch of food, is <laughs> Lori Buck. Um, it's, I think those are probably the best places.
0: All right. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Lori. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time.